For far too long, many Christians and churches have been primarily known by what they are against. Most people in our communities could rattle off a list of things that they think we stand in opposition to, all the while never really experiencing the love Jesus has for them. It's time for things to change. For the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of those that Jesus gave his life for, it's time that we become known by what we are for. It's time that we begin really loving our neighbors. It's time that we begin living and loving for the sake of those around us who are desperately in need of the life-giving power of the gospel. If we are going to help people move closer to where God wants them to be, it's time that we are no longer known primarily by what we are against. It's time that we become known by what we are for. Oh man, I hear that and I'm ready to go. Are you guys? Oh man, woo. I don't know if it's just because it's my dad up there giving that message and it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm pumped, you know, I'm ready. You guys ready? I think, maybe. Hey, I was here last week. My name is Luke Hammond. I'm Jim's son, and I have a couple confessions to make. Number one, um, my parents had never heard me speak before last week. (laughs) They actually found out that Matt had asked me to speak in a board meeting. My dad was in a board meeting for the church and found out there, and he was like, really? He said yes? (laughs) And panic set in on his heart. as mine. I don't really know why I said yes. Two things. Second, are you guys encouraged by the students in this church leading us in worship, serving uh, the coffee and donuts? How cool is that? I did uh, student ministry for a number of years, and I was at a Christian camp in Prescott for a number of years, and it just fires me up to see students alive and active in the local church body and and participating in things like worship. That's just so cool. Let's give it up for them one more time. The other thing that I just want to give it up for, um, the guy right in this area is just very near and dear to my heart. Um, I had a connection with him um, before he came to be our youth pastor. His name is Hunter Tibbs, and I just think he's doing a tremendous job here in uh, this church and and loving on students and helping lead them and worship. Um, He was my intern in Missouri. Yeah. Yeah, I had him for two summers. The first summer, he did a wonderful job, and I begged for him back. He said, absolutely not, not a chance, not a chance. And I said, my prayer life is better than yours, buddy. And sure enough, he showed up a second summer, and we've had just a wonderful relationship, and he's a very close friend. And so uh, if you have a chance, give him a pat on the back and just say, hey, you're doing an amazing job. Thank you so much. Yeah. I lied. I said two things. Third thing, I love coffee. I don't know if you've noticed that. I drink a lot of coffee, and I want to give this little snippet about coffee. This is is free coffee that was received out there. Don't bash free coffee, okay? (laughs) If it's not your favorite coffee, don't bash it. It's free, okay? (laughs) Praise praise God it was free in your life. Somebody had to pay for it. Second thing, oh man, I'm just going on things and things and things. When a coffee bean is being roasted. It starts out green. It's a green coffee bean, okay? And then it's put in with a bunch of other coffee beans, and it undergoes a change process, okay? And I'm hoping that during the service, we're going to be like a green coffee bean. 
And so heat is put on a green coffee bean and it is mixed, either with air or by a mechanical mixer. And those beans begin to rub against one another and rub against one another and get hotter and hotter and hotter. And a bunch of chaff begins to fly off. And then it goes and it cracks. It sounds kind of like popcorn, but a lot quieter. It goes, (coughs) that's considered the first crack, okay? The first crack of coffee, that's when your blonde roast starts, okay? Then it goes on and then there's a second crack in coffee. And that second crack for my flavor taste, is right after that begins the dark roasts. Oh, yeah, the French roast, the Italian roast, and it's just there. But something that happens in that coffee roasting is we're all rubbing up against one another. This morning, you're a bean, and you're rubbing up against the Word of God, and you're rubbing up against it, and it's going to refine you in a way that's going to be a helpful drink that energizes and fills the Verde Valley. We are for the Verde Valley. Cool? That's kind of cool. I didn't do that in first service because I don't think they had their coffee that morning and they wouldn't understand. So, (laughs) diving in. Oh, I have one more thing. I was asked, actually, to just preach this week, and I begged for the week before, and Matt gave it to me, and then I ended up being on this week, too. Um, And I opened up my my Bible to the text that Matt had asked me to preach on, and it said the parable of the evil farmer. (laughs) Some of you are laughing because you know that that's what I do for a living. I'm a farmer. Okay, I, I farm here in the Verde Valley uh, at the Blazing M Ranch. If you want to eat some of my food, come and see me. Uh, would love to do that and provide that food for you. Um, so here's a question. Why are relationships so hard? Why are marriages so hard? Why are parenting your children so hard? Why are your f- friendships so hard? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And 2 Corinthians 5.14 has the answer. I'm going to read it in a couple different versions, and then we're going to learn a little bit more. But before I get going on that, i got to tell a farm story. So we were in Missouri, my family and I. We were serving in student ministry and at a church as a pastor on staff, and I had this beautiful 30-acre hobby farm. And on this hobby farm, I uh, started dabbling in all kinds of farming practices because I love diversity and I love multi-speciation and all this kind of cool permaculture concept stuff, uh, the organic movement. I'm kind of, I follow that. I think it's true and real. And so I have raised a bunch of chickens, meat birds, broilers, fryers, however you want to call it. And I believe that in order to produce the best chicken, it needs to be eating grass, It needs to be on pasture, and it needs to be moved daily to take in the chloroplast. It needs a fresh salad with its meal of grains and protein, because our birds should be on bugs and not drugs. Amen? Okay. (laughs) And so, in raising all these chickens over time, I got fairly good at it. I do all my own processing, and my wife is really good at cooking chicken, and I'm fair at it myself, and um, so I'm kind of like a chicken guru. Chicken guru. And so we were sitting down one day with our family, with my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, and I made them some chicken on the grill. 
and I know what it takes to make a perfect chicken because I raised this chicken from chick all the way up and I took its life so it could nourish my life. And, and I understand <laughs> the moisture content of a chicken and how it should be and how it should taste and chicken should taste like chicken. And so I prepared this meal and I seasoned it how chicken should be seasoned and I grilled it and I, I flipped it and it was just Oh, it's good. It was like melt in your mouth, not too dry, but perfect juices. And we sat down to eat, and we prayed, and we gave thanks. And, and my mother-in-law cut into her chicken, and there was a little more moisture than she was used to. And she got nervous. There's moisture in this chicken. I'm not used to that. I'm going to get salmonella or E. coli or some sort of issue. Luke, can you please put this back on the grill? And I said, no. Are you kidding me? I know what's healthy, and I know that I've raised that chicken. I know there's no E. coli or salmonella in there, and I know exactly what temperature to bring that bird up so you don't get sick, and I know better than you do. I am the fourth member of the Trinity, and you are not, and why are you questioning my chicken? <laughs> Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt your heart swell up with some sort of selfish thought or pride or issue of what's going on in here. Because in that moment, something is very profound and theological. You are putting yourself in that fourth chair of the Trinity, and that self-desire is fundamentally destructive to relationships. Even if I didn't respond evilly, and I don't think I did. I think I politely said, well, let's try to find one that's a little more done for you. But I still felt that in my heart and my soul because after all, I'm Luke Pastor Poultry Hammond. <laughs> and that's disgusting. That is gross. That is sin that needs to be rooted out in my heart and in my life. That's just awful. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him and for their sake and was raised to life. Let's read it in a little easier translation to understand because we're getting a little hmm NLT either way Christ's love controls us since we believe that Christ died for all we also believe that we have all died to our old life he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves instead they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. Why are relationships so hard? It's because we are fundamentally selfish in nature. We seek to justify our own selfish actions to prove that the other party, to prove to the other party that we are right and they are wrong. So point number one on the outline in this argument that we're building is that the DNA of sin 
is self. The DNA of sin is self, which means that the core chemical makeup of all the evil that is wrapped up in our hearts is our own selfish desire. In the Greek, sin is used as this language of a marksman missing its mark. It's, 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 sin is sometimes called, it's just missing the mark, but it's so much more to that. There's an intonation of a perfect archer with perfect aim, pulling back, sighting in on the target, releasing the arrow, and the arrow falling completely short, not even hitting the target. That is our sin nature. That is who we are. We can have our perfect aim focused, pointing towards the target of what we're trying to hit, and we don't even make it to the target. Do you know what I'm talking about? Number two, it's the selfishness that doesn't allow us to live for our neighbor. It's this selfishness that doesn't allow us to live for our neighbor. And if you're here last week, that's what we learned. Our neighbor is everyone that's around. Everyone is our neighbor. And we are called, according to God's perfect will, to love God and to love our neighbor. The third thing about the sin of self is selfishness is inward in approach. Selfishness is inward in approach. Why? Because that's the definition of the word. Self. Me. I want what I want. Sin turns me in on myself. Sin makes me much more concerned about my little definitions of my own wants. Sin begins to shrink us down into the claustrophobic confines of our own hearts. Sin makes it to where we live this life of wants to where it's all about me. I want coffee at ready reach at all times. I want chocolate now so that I do not kill these kids that are acting out of line because they are selfish little individuals. I'm going to cope by going to the fridge and pulling out whatever it is. I want roads that are smooth, paid for by other citizens that choose not to drive on them. I want people that drive like I do. That when they go on an on-ramp, they know that that's an acceleration. Go fast on an on-ramp. And then you can merge. Why don't people do that? <laughs> I was just in Phoenix the other day. I, was like, I want... Amazon Prime, two-day shipping to show up in two days. Nay, I want it to show up in two hours. Like LA, why do they get it and I don't? I live in Cottonwood and we should have two-day or two-hour Amazon Prime. Man, half of you guys were like, wait, do they do that? There's two-hour Amazon Prime? Oh my gosh. I want a wife that. I want children that. I want friends that. I want, 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 I want. Are you uncomfortable yet? I want, I want, I want 
Welcome to the struggle of your heart. I am fundamentally selfish by nature. It's this selfishness and this sin that makes me choose easy over right. It's this selfishness that wells up inside that makes me somehow in justification, move to the areas of life that I swore I would never go to again. It makes me go to the cabinet and reach in there, the top shelf, and go to that place that I swore I wouldn't do for the fifth night in a row, or was that the fifth month in a row? I'm not sure anymore. It makes me go to the medicine cabinet and pull out and and scurry through the bottles of pills just to take the pain away. It makes me go to the screen and search things that I know I shouldn't look at. Oh, it's not even the screen of a computer anymore. It's in the palm of my hand. I can swipe, 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 swipe and feed my selfish desires as much as I want because I am fundamentally selfish. It makes me respond like I didn't want to respond when she said what she said and it makes me want to slam the door and run out and kick at the dog and burn out in front of my kids. It makes me lose my soul. Because sin is inward in focus. We fall short all the time. Point number four on your outline. Now that we're all thoroughly depressed (laughs) and you can hear a pin drop because you know what I'm talking about because it's real and your heart is mine. In order to be for our world, our posture has to change. In order to be for our world, our posture has to change. You see, the sin of self is inwardly focused. It reduces us to this claustrophobic confines. Our posture has to change from this to number five on your outline. We are hardwired to live differently. We are hardwired to live an upward life. An upward life in reverent worship of the God who created us and an outward life of love towards neighbor. We are hardwired for this, but we don't live in it daily, and that is our problem. Because daily, we're concerned about me. We've been really, really good at hiring our inner lawyer to defend all of our actions. But there is an antidote. It's this posture change, this upward and outward focus towards life in which I believe that we are hardwired to live and it's hard to do. Or is it? What's the text say? Verse 14. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we all have died to our old life. 
He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. What is going on here? Something huge. That is grace. He died so that we can no longer live for ourselves. That's the hope. That's the antidote. It is Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us that allows us to die to our old selfish desires and begin to live a new life. We have to close this gap because the text is saying this. Christ died so that we can live. Now we live. Now that we live, we live for him. Christ died so that we can live. And now that we live, we live for him. And so on your notes, if you take notes, maybe you don't, I I left a gap because we feel the tension, we feel the gap, we feel the sin nature of self and we feel the antidote, but how do we merge that gap into a life? We have got to move from selfishness to selflessness. And what's the journey? We know that's the goal, we know that's the end result, but what's the roadmap on how to get there? Back to the text. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Our posture has changed. We are recognizing that God died for us in an upward posture of worship towards him, receiving that grace down to us because we're no longer living inwardly, we're living upwardly, and he is the one that begins to fill us up with what we need. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. Anytime I feel like I want, I want, I want, we have to replace that with I need, I need, I need. I want this for myself, but no, I need your grace to fall upon me in forgiveness. Grace is not just forgiveness of sins, people. We sometimes think that. We think that when Jesus died on the cross for us, we receive that grace and it's good and we're done and we're forgiven and we're on. No, no, no. Grace is so much more than that. Grace is something we grow in. And the closer I get to Jesus, the more I need more and more grace. Every time we confess our selfishness and our sins and our desires uh, to live the evil self life that we once were living, that's a grace. It's not something that we hide. It's not something that we work towards. It's something that we've received. And when we receive more of it, we can confess out the old garbage in our life and the safety of believers who are messed up too. Sometimes we think that some people have it all together. They don't. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Stop swiping Facebook and reading other people's highlight reels and thinking that that is real life. It's not even close. 
confessing our sins to one another is a grace. It gives hope. It helps us grow. It helps soften the heart of stone that's been in there, that's been developed over years in our life. These areas where our heart has been hardened and turned off toward God because our inner lawyer has already defended and justified every position in our life to where we think that we have it together and we don't. And that heart of stone that is talked about, when you press on it, it doesn't move in. It's not pliable. It's not teachable. You can't grow. You can't do anything with it except drop it. We need a heart of flesh. We need to recognize that we need a Savior, that we have a heartbeat again, a heartbeat again. And how do we do that? We begin practicing selflessness. And we continue to practice selflessness because we can do something that at one point was really comfortable, at one point was very selfless, but then it becomes really easy and it becomes very comfortable and it becomes very familiar and God wants to bring you and invite you into something further, more. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Last Battle, says it like this, we need to go further up and further into the kingdom. Further up and further in. That is how we move from selfish to selfless. And it's only through this on that middle gap, if you've written this selfishness to selflessness, the only way to do that is through grace. The only way to do that is through grace. That's the avenue. It's a grace to confess. It's a grace of receiving. It's a grace with one another. When somebody confesses to you, you handle it graciously. Don't hire your own inner lawyer to defend them and put them down and grind it into their you know you've been wounded. It's okay. Forgive and move on. Just as Christ died for you, you do the same. Philippians chapter 2. Paul gives this admonition, this, this encouragement, and he says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When we're following Jesus and we're walking in his footsteps and our posture has changed from self and we are looking up towards Christ and outward towards others, we can begin to get this right. Until then, we will not. We'll continue to hire our inner lawyer and we will fight to the death just to be right. And in being right, you will find out that you're ultimately completely wrong.
In Philippians verse 13, it says this, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It means that when God is coming and working in you, it changes the desires of your heart and begins to shift the desires of your heart, and that is the rocket fuel of grace. You're no longer doing the right thing for the wrong reason. You're doing the right thing for the right reasons because you're motivated by the love of Christ in your life, and you've received it, and now you give it. And a confession from me, I am terrible at this. It's so rare that I catch myself in the act. Why? Because I'm already red and bent up. It takes practice. It takes practice. It takes practice of saying, Lord, I need you. I need you in this moment. I need you in order to respond how I need to. It says in Matthew that we are the salt of the earth. Some of us have kind of lost our saltiness. We're not very salty. And we need to come here to restore our saltiness. Some of us are all about saltiness, and we only hang out with saltiness, and we only listen to saltiness, and we're all about salt, 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 salt. You know what happens when you put too much salt on a chicken? It's disgusting. We are called to be the salt and the light for the world. If we're only hanging out with believers, we're missing the call and the commission of Christ to go and make disciples. Sometimes, don't hear me wrong on this, sometimes we have to regroup for strength to restore the saltiness that we once had in our hearts. But other times, we're just a salty mess hanging out together, flavoring our community in the wrong way and we're disgusting and we're gross because we are not making an impact. This series, the four series, is all about being salt to the Verde Valley, going out and releasing the selfish desires that we have, releasing the greed in our hearts, releasing everything so that we can live an upward and an outward life. In just a few moments, Matt is going to come up here and share something that I think is the coolest thing since pastured poultry. Okay? Our church wants to rally behind each and every one of you in order to enable you to be for our community. But before we do that, let's pray. Let's close our uh, eyes. Let's fold our hands just to remove distraction. Father, I just ask that you would soften our hearts that you would reveal to us the ways in which we are selfish, the ways that we are living only for ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would begin to give us a heart of flesh that begins to beat for you every day. I pray that you would help us to recognize the areas in which we are destroying our relationships and destroying our life unintentionally. Lord, I pray that you reconnect the wires to hardwire our hearts and to hardwire our minds to live an upward and an outward life so that we can be for our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.
Hey, I'm so encouraged. Uh, I'm just encouraged to have people in our church that um, are able to bring us encouragements from the Word of God. And people like Luke and uh, him this week and last week and Mike a couple weeks ago. Yeah, uh, it encourages me, and I hope it's been an encouragement and a challenge to you too. Would you just give Luke a round of applause and say thank you for being here the last couple weeks? So we've been every week through the last three... Uh, I guess this is week number four of this series, and then we're going to conclude things next week. Um, but every week, we've been trying to, to put something tangible in your hands and trying to call you to something specific or ask you to consider some action. And so far, I would just say I've been really encouraged by the way that I've seen um, people in this community choosing to kind of step out and, and choosing to... Um, Start considering how you might be able to get into someone's corner that, that needs to be encouraged by the love of God and how you might choose to be standing with someone and standing for someone that um, is still far from God. And, and already in just a few weeks, we've seen some of those things begin to happen, and it's been encouraging to me. Um, the way that we want to continue today is this, that I really believe that, that just to kind of... Um, continue with the thoughts that Luke was sharing, that one of the best ways for us to um, push back against some of our natural tendencies toward selfishness, um, some of our natural tendencies toward thinking about our own needs first, one of the best ways is to, to choose to invest in people that are around you and choose to invest your time and your energy and uh, sometimes even your finances, to choose to get out of your comfort zone for the sake of someone else. And so this week we are going to kind of collectively try to call us toward an investment in the people around us. Here's one thing that I know is that I believe that you are in your specific situation for a specific reason. I think that you live in your neighborhood so that God can use you in your neighborhood. God can use you in your workplace in a way that's significantly uh, more impactful than he could use me in your workplace. Nod your head if that kind of makes sense what I'm saying. Like, you are in your circumstances, you are in your circles and your sphere of influence for a specific reason, and I really believe it's because God is calling you to invest in the lives of people that he's already connected you with. Um, and we really believe this and so this week, we want to do something to kind of encourage you to be an agent in the place where God already has you. There are some ways that we've been trying to kind of say, would you consider being a part of something we're doing? This week, we want to say, we want to be a part of something that you're doing. We want to encourage you and support you and almost try to just get you to creatively think about what God might be wanting to do in your circles and in your spheres of influence. Um, and so the way that we're going to do that today is something just called a, a seed money investment in you. Um, seed money is basically just like funds that are allocated to initiate a project. And so we want to try to get behind you, and we want to try to encourage you to initiate some kind of investment in the spheres of influence that you already have in our community. And so this week, instead of us saying like, hey, we came up with this good idea, we want you to, to participate in it, we want to say to you, we need you to invest in, in your life and we want to get behind what you're doing. We believe that God has you in your situation, in your circumstances for a reason, and we want to get behind that. And so today, the, what we're going to do is, uh, as you go out of this room, 
there's gonna be a table over to the right. There's a TV behind it that just says, has the like four logo on it. Um, we're gonna hand you an envelope that just has cash in it. And we want you to take that and to kind of symbolically take that as a way of saying like, we, we believe that God's calling you to something in your neighborhood or in your workplace or in your circumstances. And we want this to be uh, almost just a way of jump-starting what God is calling you to. We want you to be agents of change, and we want you to be able to stand for people in your community. And we, want, we, we believe that so much that we literally want to put some money into your hands and ask you to seek God and figure out what he might be wanting you to do with that today. So our plan today is to give about $3,000 to this service and ask you to seek God, to go before him, to ask him what it is that he might have in mind for you to do with that. Um, we believe that you're in your circumstances and you're in your setting for a very specific reason, and we wanna encourage that and kinda give you just this little jump start um, for you to keep thinking. Here's what we would ask, is that you would pray about it, that you would pray about what it is that God is calling you to do, um, that any of, the, any of the funds that we give to you today, that you would spend them on something locally, that it would be something that's for the Verde Valley, that it wouldn't be something you send like outside of our community. Um, and we want you to invest in, in someone that is far from God um, and, and that is not already a part of like a faith community here in Cottonwood. And then we want to hear your story. And so we would ask you to let us know kind of what you did. And so um, when you get an envelope, there's going to be a piece of paper that just reminds you of a couple of those things. Um, there's even a spot at the bo bottom that has a link for where you can like share your story back with us and let us know. So um, we don't want to tell you specifically what to do, but, but um, it could really kind of be anything. Maybe there's a neighbor that you have that you just feel like you've, God's been putting them on your heart and you really need to invite them over. And so maybe you spend the money that we give you today and, and buy ingredients and make a meal and invite your neighbor over. Um, maybe it's, there's someone that you have been needing to take to coffee and this will pay for coffee for you and them for three or four times um, over the next couple of weeks. Maybe there's someone that you know that just really needs to be encouraged and, and uh, you're gonna come up with some other creative way. Maybe everybody in your small group is gonna kinda take their envelope and pull it together and, and come up with something else that you're gonna do. I don't know what, what you're gonna do, but I do know this, that I believe that God has called you to your circumstance for a specific reason, and that God has called you to stand for and stand with and get in the corner of people that are far from him, um, and that God has some significant things in mind for you to do in your neighborhood and for you to do in your workplace, and we want to try to encourage that and just kind of give you a little bit uh, of a jump start on that this morning. Um, that's all I have to share with you. You can stop by that table on your way out. It's over to your right as you walk outside the doors. Last thing, we have a prayer team over here to the right of the stage. They would love to pray with you. They'd love to spend just a couple moments with you this morning uh, before you take off. If you have something you'd like prayer for or a way that they could help carry a burden for you, please stop by and spend a couple minutes with them this morning. That's all I've got. Thank you so much for joining us today. We will see you next Sunday.